Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode. We've got an awesome guest. Today's guest is an insightful business partner and talent development consultant with a passion for inclusion, organizational development, leadership, change, and capability development. She has so many degrees and certifications that it would take the whole podcast to list them, um, but we're going to list out, we're going to spend some time carving out uh, time in the show so that we can talk through those and learn a little bit more. She's currently the Director of Organizational Effectiveness at Hyatt Hotels Corporation. Please welcome to the show, Carly Wolf. Hello, Carly. Hi, thanks for having me. I love the nod on the education <laughs> and certs. It's hard to ignore looking at your background. So I'm looking forward at, you know, every once in a while during an introduction, I'll list out some of the certifications. But uh, in this case, I think it's better off. We're going to uh, talk about some of that background as we uh, we get into the show here. Yeah. And for what it's worth, I really appreciate and believe in experience. So I'm glad that like that's what we're talking about today. So uh, so, th so thank you. And Let's let's lean on the stories of the experience. <laughs> that's good. Well, we like we like stories on this podcast, so that's perfect. So, and and I actually really appreciate that the way that you describe that because really the show is not really about kind of the academic frameworks as much as it as it is the app uh, the application of those. And so, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing how you can uh, share your wisdom and experience with us. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get started. Um, we're going to start the same way we do every other show and ask for your take on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. Yeah. Uh, I think, listen, like a lot of us, I think the biggest challenge is just the world that's been changing in and around us. Um, for the deskless worker, like I think there's an employee experience component to this, right? How do you think about what's not only attracting to be able to a job, but what's keeping them there? Um, and if I'm sitting in that seat of the deskless worker, it's how is company enabling me to do my job differently? Whether I have a product, I'm working with a guest, I'm working with a customer, all of that continues to change. Not that the world hasn't always been in a changing way, but I think we've all been thrust into drastic amounts of change over the past couple of years. So I think my question is, yeah, how do we continue to set people up for success um, in, a new, in a new world, a new way of working? Yeah, I think you're spot on. It, you know, even before the pandemic, we were talking about the pace of change. So this isn't entirely new. I just think that, you know, the pace got accelerated with a massive multiplier in a very short period of time. And as we've we've talked about with a lot of other guests in the show, at the same time, the way that a lot of companies responded to that was to perhaps dust off some projects for digital transformation initiatives and say, okay, this is finally the time for us to push these things out, right? So we're, we're kind of yeah. dealing with that perfect storm of uh, a, a lot of change being addressed by men and women on the front lines, both in their personal lives and the, in their you know, lives as citizens of the globe, but also in their, their lives at work. And then at the same time, companies are, are really trying to introduce a whole lot more change inside the environment. So there's a lot for us to, to talk about here today. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about digital transformation. I think there's the digital transformation, right? How you do your job. And there's also the digital transformation in terms of how do we enable people to um, be productive in their jobs. Things like, you know, take, take someone who is an hourly employee, right? Where they might have, in a traditional sense, having to work a straight eight to five or um, starting at 7 p.m., whatever their schedule may be, and you have to do traditional blocks of time. Well, what if we can totally reimagine what it means to plug into a schedule? That sounds yeah. great, but you probably need some technology to enable that, and you need to help teach people how to get there. You need to help uh, support leaders on that path. So I think there's that example, too. So when I talk about employee experience and you know, also thinking in that regard, which is a huge opportunity for us, right? It's, it's a massive opportunity. I, you know, a lot of people have said that technology 
feels like a leash, you know, to, to, you know, put more controls around people. And, And I've always looked at it from the exact opposite viewpoint that technology and particularly mobile technology actually gives us the freedom to place shift and time shift, you know, where and when a lot of the things uh, that need to get done can get done. And so I, I really look at it very similarly to the way you just described is that, you know, technology can be an enabler to allowing that flexibility that may have been unprecedented, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, we have a lot to talk about from kind of the business front and, um, organizational effect in this, but I, I do want to get uh, into your background and, and let the audience get to know you a little bit more yeah. and uh, really get an understanding of, of kind of how you came up and in through into the organization that you're in today and, and what some of your background is. So I'll let you, uh, you know, kind of pick where you want to start that background from. Yeah. I, I, I've been so privileged to have an amazing journey working with great leaders, great working with great people along the way. Um, and it started with the beginning of my career. So I, I've always been in the talent and organizational development space. Um, I've worked in nonprofit, for-profit. Um, I've also done some consulting, and then I've spent the majority of my career um, in industry. Uh, but from, from the beginning, doing training delivery, I was working at a nonprofit in sport, um, got to break ground there in terms of how do we think about delivering training um, in a, a specialized way, including um, mobile, including thinking about out of the classroom. I then moved into leadership development, also working in nonprofit sport where we got to think about what's the leadership agenda uh, for this company. I spent some time in for-profit education, doing change management, uh, talent development, and and then I made my move into consulting. I basically was the internal person that said, I work a lot with consultants. I wonder if I could do that one day. And so I made the hop, which was a ton of fun. So I got to work across a lot of industries, different size companies, different needs, all of that work, which I think is relevant for this conversation, sits a lot in the digital transformation space, uh, whether it be companies going to market differently or they're thinking about internal tools uh, to help with employee productivity and efficiency. And from there, I moved back uh, into industry and worked in retail space and did a lot of change management work there, as well as got to experience diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership. And right now I'm in hospitality and doing, as you mentioned, organizational effectiveness. But what that means for us is employee experience, change management, and what I'll loosely say, uh, culture. I never believe you can drive or deliver culture on a project, but there are things that we do that certainly influence that. So uh, that's my very short history. But I think one thing that when when we were coming to this conversation, I was thinking about was the question that you asked, which is like, what are people faced with today? And you heard me lean into essentially the pandemic, right? So much has emerged. And there's a a lot that I've, I've worked in retail and I work in hospitality, two industries that are in the space of uh, not only being hit really hard, but I think have the opportunity to look across and say, like, what do we want to do differently? So uh, it's been an exciting ride over the past couple of years. Excited to be here to share any, any wisdom from any of the experiences, but that's a little bit about me. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you for, for giving us that background. And, and, you know, I I know we were kind of joking in the beginning, but it's, it's really not a joke. I, when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, you have uh, more things filled out under licenses and certifications than any other guests that we've ever have. So if we were ever ever given award for that, uh, you would definitely be the recipient of that. (laughs) Um, thank you. And what I would say actually what one, I always appreciate the opportunities to learn more. And I think I had learned an important lesson in 2020, which is right, the big pivot we made from pandemic, which was between, I was in retail um, and had a job change between retail and hospitality. And, and in, that, in that space of what do I wanna do next? I sort of looked back, I know you're giving me credit for a lot of things, but I looked back and I said, what I need, there, I need to invest in myself and continue to think about like plugging into best practices, what's new knowledge out there. And I had that moment of, I don't know if I've been doing enough of this, right? Like I do it in my work. I get to you know, work with, um, I have great mentors that keep me on my toes and thinking big picture, but there's also benefit to the subject matter expertise, like the certifications. And so mm-hmm. in 2020, in the world that was changing, I re- made that recommitment to myself to ensure at least once a year, I do some sort of big learning moment. 
Sure, the outcome of that looks like a certification. It looks fun on LinkedIn, but really more the personal end of it is how do I continue to stay up on things so that my work remains relevant and continues to push the teams or the organizations that I'm working with. So if anything, it just speaks to my passion of wanting to create and facilitate and be a part of change than it is the uh, the badge of honor to hold. Although I appreciate yeah. that. Well, and, and I'm going to go a little off script because we, we didn't really prepare to talk about this, but I'm, I'm really curious about how your passion for, for learning and self-improvement, how that drives the way that you lead change inside your organization. I mean, do you find many of the people that you're working with have the same passion for learning or how do you maybe help some of those folks realize uh, the benefits to continuous personal and professional development? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing in my core that I really believe in is how can I, you know, I think help others realize not only the potential of themselves, but the potential that they can realize within the organizations they're working at. And so said more specifically, right, if I think of myself as an internal consultant, whether it be on change management or team effectiveness, I'm working with a leader who is faced with a question of how can I do something better, right, loosely. Um, and I think that's where the learning comes in, right, is to be the safe consultant or coach, um, to share experience, to have empathy, to be there with the person I'm working with. I think that's part of a learning journey is just even getting people on it. And then how can we use the work that's in front of us to create learning in the moment? I don't think I would ever say to a leader explicitly, if we do it this way in this project, you're going to learn something. It's more about the outcome of the work. But for me, I think that's a, a something I'm very passionate about and definitely see as a value that, um, that I bring. And then back to the point of whether it be the education or exposure, I think that's what I can bring in and help teach and mentor others, right? I want to be able to leave a project, a person, a space better than it was when I got there. And that's, that's all through, through education. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I really believe in from a learning is also the connectivity that we can, we can all help facilitate, right? Um, I never pretend to be the expert in everything, but I try to do a good job of knowing who, who is. And so, you know, for example, you know, Justin, if we were working together and I, I didn't have the answer, like, let's go find it together and let's learn together. Right. Um, and I think there, there's power in that too. Yeah, no, I think that's great. It, it just speaks to uh, your resourcefulness. And, and we were talking even before, uh, you know, we pressed record on today's session just about uh, the networkers that brought us together and, uh, yeah. you know, how important we both feel it is to connect with those around us. And so I, I can see that being a big part of your, uh, you know, kind of professional personality that that you exhibit to others. So I think that's pretty neat. For sure. So, so let's let's go back to the men and women on the front lines a little bit. We talked about the pandemic and, and we talked about your take on on some of their challenges. Um, I'm always curious to kind of flip that back around and, and try to put ourselves collectively in their shoes and and get your take on, you know, if we were to have a few of them uh, represented here in the show and we were to ask them what the biggest challenge they see, you know, in their in their world today, what would that be? Do you think it'd be the same as, as your perspective or do you think they have a, a different vantage point on that? How you ended is how I answer it, which is I think I think the problem the problem, if you will, is similar, but the vantage point I think is what is different. Which is if I were to you know, try to put myself in the shoes of a, a frontline um, colleague, I think it's right. How do you see me in the solution? Right? How can you help? How can you help me? Um, I think the people doing the job know the answers, and so and they. Right, I know that as a facilitator, supporter, I tap into that, ask that question all the time, like, let's talk about your perspective. But I think, right, um, you look at that day, the, the everyday frontline worker, and they they want to be a part of it. They, they Just like all of us, we don't want to just be told, like, here's a solution that we know works for you when you know it doesn't. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest challenge that they're faced with, because we, as a company, roll out initiatives. We often hope that it works or fits or we think it does. But if I'm that front line, I'm thinking, did you talk to anyone that I work with? Uh, because that's not how it works around here. So yeah. I think that's how the, the challenge emerges for them. And how that shows up is things like, the solution doesn't work or this creates more work for me or I liked it the way before um, because I was more efficient. I was able to connect with guests easier or customer, whatever it may be. So yeah. I, think, I think that's a big part of what they're faced with 
again, with the amount of change, we have lots of fun solutions coming down, but does it really represent the solve that the, the frontline person is, is really feeling? So what would you say are some of the best practices you've either implemented or observed to try to close the gap on that communication? Because I, I think that's a lot of what you're describing is really the communication about the eyes and ears of the men's and women, men and women in the field and getting their input um, and, and then making sure that we're communicating back. So what are some of the best practices that, that you'd offer up? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's communication. I would even go one step back, which is also in the design, right? Uh, and even in the crafting of even the problem statement. So how would I think about it? The first thing I would say is who do we have involved from the front line, right? Who, yeah. who, who can um, help us craft this pro uh, problem statement? Who can help us come up with solutions? Who can help us test these things? Who can be our uh, reality check uh, as we're continuing to build? So for me, it starts at the beginning and having the right people in the, in the conversation. And if I'm, I'll just use the classic uh, cor like corporate versus frontline sort of view, how do you also create that safe space so that voices can be heard um, in the design process? So that's, that's definitely where I would go first. Now from like the communications perspective that you're mentioning, I also think it's important to involve uh, folks in that process. So just asking questions, like when we've communicated things before, what's worked well, what hasn't, um, as we're going down this project, what would you, what would you want your peers to know about this? Um, I think it's just important to reflect the people that are ultimately the owner of the change in the story that you're, you're communicating. So I just firmly believe in, let's just get the right people involved. Yeah. It can't just always come from the top and expect to be pulled through from the top either. Yeah. You mentioned something. I don't think I've heard any other guests mention, at least with that terminology specifically. And you, you talked about creating a safe space for that feedback. And yeah. I'd love for you to just maybe spend a few more minutes on that. Well, tell me about what that means to you and, and why that's so important in the process as you see it. I think, yeah, creating a safe space, I think is, is a couple of things. One is there is an inclusion and belonging component to that, which is, you know, if I'm participating or providing my opinion, do I see myself in the conversation, right? So that could be, is the person even asking me the questions representative of the pe people that I work with every day, right? The, the suit, if you will, of corporate coming down and taking yeah. notes in the room, that doesn't feel or reflect what I interact with every day. So how do I see myself, right? So from an inclusion standpoint, I think it's also, um, thinking about how you can meet people where they are to get feedback. Um, I think about a lot of times, even just in the setup, right? We're talking about getting feedback. We're talking about being involved with design. And as we're talking, what I'm imagining is sort of <laughs> like we're all sitting in a conference room with white walls and we've invited people in to participate. Well, why don't we just go meet people where they are? Like, let's get on the front line with, if, if it's a distribution house, like let's go where the packages are being pulled from the line. And let's talk about like, what challenges are you faced with? Hey, we're talking about solving this problem. What do you think? Um, I think that also helps create a safe, a safe space. So for me, it's asking those questions of how do you meet people where they are? How do you think about uh, the representation in the room so that people see themselves? And then there's also things like, you know, from a global company, something simple like language gets overlooked all the time. And language could be everything from, I speak English, but I'm going to work with someone who speaks their first language is Spanish, but it also could be language like, I use a ton of corporate jargon and that's not how it plays at the front line. So how am I thinking through that translation so it's applicable? So that's when, when I say safe space, those are the things I, I think about because it creates a place of reality, right? Yeah, the, the, the jargon statement uh, struck a chord with me because I think that's that's so true. And I would actually say it, it goes the other way around too, that men and women in the field Definitely. often have their own jargon. So, you know, the folks at headquarters may call it one thing, the folks in the field may call it something else. And, um, you know, it, it, it is interesting. It's, it's uh, you've got a level set or, or do those translations in advance to make sure that everybody's speaking the same language. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're drawing something important too. We, go, we talk about design and how do you make something relevant? let's talk about that. Like, let's actually talk about the language difference because when we think about design, 
there's two ways you could do that. You'd be like fold in the language that's coming or you have to then teach a new language. Yeah. So there's a design principle that you can also fold in. Um, you know, part of, I know we're talking about change management here. I think this falls in the case of if we do the design right, the change is a little bit easier. Not to say change management isn't important. Obviously that's what I've been doing in my career, but <laughs> there are things yeah. that we can do to uh, limit the challenges that might come up at the other end. Yeah, actually what you just said is, is really interesting. And I, I think maybe it could be sometimes the cause for some confusion, right? Which is that perhaps some organizations think that they got enough feedback from the affected team members before the design process so that then when it comes time to implementation, there's no change management required, right? Because it's like, hey, we got their feedback, right? We got their terminology. We spent the time to do all of that as if it's a replacement for the other. And I think what I've come to realize is that they are both, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. We, we need to be doing those things better from a design standpoint. We need to be more inclusive with all of the affected you know, uh, team members right out of the gate. But even then when we deploy it, uh, unless we took a hundred percent sample size of everybody, and even if we did, we probably still need an education and communication process. Um, you know, about what's coming down and, and what transpired from those conversations. The other thing is that, you know, having, you know, I have a software company here. And, and so that sometimes the time between doing discovery and the time that actually something gets rolled out is very rarely days. It's typically yeah, at yeah. best weeks or months and usually several quarters, right? Yep. So, so we have to fill in those gaps. And I, I think that's where, you know, we can't, we can't let one replace the other. Do, do you think I'm on track there? Oh, hundred percent. I 100% agree that they go uh, hand in hand. Uh, I think without both, right, you're in real trouble. If you're doing one, you have some more attention you need to pay. If you're doing both, right. I think you get like smoother uh, transition and adoption. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's it's the craft, right, that we all want to, I think, be a part of, which is in the design phase, how are we thinking about change in the yeah. execution, in quote, execution space? space how we're right. thinking about change but like you said it, there's a lot of factors of you could have the perfect design and you still need some support on pulling it through whether it be as you mentioned time um or audience as you mentioned that everyone's involved also by the way the intent of design is to get input and then go build and then come back and so there's still an at the very least kind of an education component of hey we heard you say this here's how it plays in and here's how it works so there's always the app, we'll use the term application yeah. that needs the, the support. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, throughout your career, you've had, um, you've been in organizations that have obviously many frontline workers, but also many, you know, more traditional knowledge worker roles and things like that. And I'm curious to get your take on what makes technology adoption different for the men and women, men and women on the front lines versus maybe some folks that work at headquarters. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I well, part of it, I think we've been talking about a, a, a little bit. Um, one is some of the challenges definitely come in the design, which is are we walking in the shoes of the people that it might be changing for? I think there's a lot of environmental factors, right? In a traditional office setting, you have a lot of routines that are set that you know change can plug into. You also have a lot of communication vehicles that people have access to. I think when you're in the space of, in quote, on the front line, right? I think about, I use the term distribution house or if I work at the front desk of a hotel, um, I'm a volleyball coach, right? You're not at a computer all day. You're not plugged into the um, noon meeting where we all get the company updates. So I think those are the challenges that are, or not challenges. I just think that that's what's different that needs to be considered um, in, in the change space. And, and sometimes we have a technology solve for that. Like we could reach people. So I'm thinking about someone who might have an iPad, right? We can drop an app on there, but also do we create the time for people to read the information? So I think, I think it's the intentionality of how do we create space for people to take on change how do we create and plug into the things that already exist for those those workers? All of that's different from a corporate setting. Absolutely. Yeah, you just the the mention of time, creating space for them, I think is hugely important and often overlooked. And I think it's actually 
one of the the causes of tension between you know operations leadership and and some of the project teams that are trying to implement technology which is like hey it's great that we need to carve out time to change but you know we still have a business to run right we still have same number of packages to ship as trucks to drive right whatever the the work is at hand and how are we going to carve that time out? And, and I don't know that there's a perfect answer to that, but it, this comes up in, in a lot of the conversations that we have about this, which is how do we take a workforce, especially right now, that many of these uh, workers on the front lines are, are strained from just the workload because there's turnover and there's vacancies around them. And so they're having to work harder as it is at the same time that we're trying to, to implement some of this. Any, yeah. any magic bullets, secrets that you can share for uh, how to solve for some of that? I don't know about magic bullet. I think, so two thoughts. One, I think this sits in the employee experience bucket, which is how do we just as a whole, take a step back and rethink about what it means to support people in their jobs. And part of it's creating capacity for, well, in this case, change, right? Um, I think the other thing, so that's one, that's a big, that's a big idea. (laughs) The other piece, just more practically speaking, something that I have seen work really well is, you know, you mentioned time, like time off, we'll use the term time off the floor to go to a training or go to um, a demo or whatever it may be. How do you show the return on the other side, right? If we take two hours out today, that's going to yield 50 hours out the other end because they're going to be using the technology the right way. That's something that I've seen work. Um, because you're, you're playing right into like, why this is the problem we're trying to solve. Here's how we're going to do it. By the way, there's going to be minimal disruption. We're going to need a little bit of time, but look at what's going to come out the other end. So it's sort of creating the, the case, if you will, for why you make that investment. I, I love that example, actually. And I don't think we talk about that enough because it, you know, if, if the investment of time that change leadership is asking for isn't going to yield greater benefits down the road, then it could be argued, maybe we should be doing it. So I'd love to hear, you know, I'm not asking for you to get into any proper names or anything, but I'd love to hear, can you share maybe a story with some, some details about that, about kind of making that business case for, these are my words, not what you said, but, but some investment on the, the change side for training and communication on the front end that yields better results down the road. Any, any stories worth sharing? Yeah, I think um, in a number of my roles, we we have what would probably traditionally be called like a call center, but everyone's serving some sort of you know customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the organizations I was working with, we had just um, moved to more or less like an outsourcing model on on some of the on the customer service. And so there was a lot of how do we teach the technology? How do we teach the terminology? How do we teach what products it is that we're selling that so we can better uh, service our customers? And we were coming up on, on holiday season, which was a big push. And so the question, and, and we were getting customer feedback that wasn't as high as that we were normally getting. And so the, the, the question was like, how do we help people service customers better? How do we get their answers quicker? How do we get products out the door faster? That was the question. And we came down to, we really need to do some, some training, both on how do you use the technology when you're working with um, someone that's calling in and um, how do you work through understanding products a little bit better so that when people call and have questions, you, you can figure that out. And so we pulled people off the floor. We did big chunks of, 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 of training and activities to support like here are really the key items that you need to know. So going into the holiday season, here are the three things that we always get the most calls about. Let's really lean into that space so that we're supportive, uh, that we can, you know, come over turn the corner on, on the feedback that we're getting and by the way, increase sales. And so it was, it was the same, what the way that we positioned it was, yes, it's gonna be disruptive to pull people off the floor. Here's how we're gonna work through it, right? We're gonna pull teams, these teams will help fill in. And by the way, if we achieve this, customer scores go up, sales go up. We were able to articulate that. Time on the phone, lessons, therefore I'm able to take more customers. So we painted that picture. On the other end, here's what, what we'll serve. So that would be like an example of how we we looked at it. Um, but I added one more piece in there, which was it wasn't about training for everything, right? We like really looked at what are we trying to really solve for, and let's go after that one piece, right? Let's do incremental change, and I think that's another important part. Is sometimes we try to solve all the world's problems in one moment, like what is really the, the thing that we need to go after. So that's how we thought about it. And I think is where it's also applicable in that audience is again, time is precious. 
moments are precious. Let's pick the most important ones and let's use the time the best that we can. Yeah. A new friend of mine, relatively new. I just uh, was introduced to him a couple of months back. He he used an expression that stuck with me. Um, Kurt Swain, I'll give him a shout out here in case he happens to be listening. But he he used an expression called minimum viable proficiency. Mm, yeah. And I, it really stuck with me. And maybe everybody's been using that term and I had just never heard it before, but he was definitely the first one to introduce it to me. And that really stuck with me because I think exactly what you just said is sometimes perhaps we're trying to boil the ocean and make sure that everybody knows everything. And not only are we adding to change challenge, right? We're just adding more friction and, and difficulty uh, to the change process, but um, it's probably not going to be super effective anyway, right? So we're kind of yep. setting the bar unrealistically high and probably not achieving results. So rather to do exactly what you just said is to figure out what are those highest priority items where we really want to develop proficiency that will, you know, 20% will get 80% of the results, right? Or whatever the actual numbers are. And I, I think that's what you just described. And I think it's a fantastic approach. And it doesn't mean that the education and communication needs to stop there. It just means that we don't necessarily need to try to boil the ocean all at one time. Yep, definitely. Well, I'll share in your shout out to Kurt because I appreciate that. All right, good. <laughs> I'm going to have to send this episode to Kurt now. If he's not listening to the podcast, we need to make sure that he is going forward. Yeah. And, so. and I need to connect with him. I'd be like, thank you for enhancing my podcast episode. <laughs> exactly. I'll introduce you guys. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear how technology plays a role in change management and organizational effectiveness for you. And I'm not referring to the underlying technology. So in your current world, like a reservation system, but I'm, I'm looking at, you know, what tools are you using to actually improve communication, change management, and the overall organizational effectiveness, if anything. And it might be something as simple as using Teams or Zoom to, you know, improve uh, video conferencing or something like that. But I'm just kind of curious to get a sense for what tools you might be using or trying to implement. Yeah. I think um, something that we've been talking a lot about lately is when you talk, when you think about, let's just use the term culture um, or employee experience. How do you, if, if we're going to be intentional about making change there, right? Like how do we, once people get in the door, how do we think about retention? Just broadly speaking, um, through experience and through best practices, there's a lot of initiatives, things that we can be doing to help with that. But one thing to answer a question that, that I think has been growing in the space is how do we uh, collect data around things like employee engagement um, or things around culture? And how do we make more informed decisions about what we're doing? And let's go one step further, not only about what we're doing, but how does that actually connect to business outcomes, um, both short and, and long-term? So one of the things I've just been seeing that space get grow so much over the past couple of years, whether it be um, traditional ways of looking at employee engagement um, or non-traditional ways, uh, all of that is, is emerging. And so I, I guess not to be in a buzzword space, but I definitely think like data um, and tools, technology to help not only uncover those things, but start to draw in correlations around uh, things that matter most is, is tremendous. So uh, for example, one of the things that I've been through friends, been very fortunate enough to have exposure to uh, social network analysis. There's a group out there called uh, Connected Commons, and they look a lot at uh, the interactions of people at work and like both in the sense of from collaboration, from well-being, from how work gets done, like all of that. And the power of that data starts to uncover, right, are people being overtapped. When we think about high performers, how does that maybe show up in a non-traditional way, right? If you're highly networked and getting work done, maybe that's a new view. Um, but I'm pulling on that example to say that's the sort of stuff that I think years ago, right, you had to be really good at math and you had to find really, really good like statistics, I can't even say the word, right? You have to like figure it out yourself. Clearly that's not my lane because I can't even uh, pronounce it. But like the technology is changing. So to yeah. enable people like me who appreciate that and want to see it in my day-to-day -day job to better support the organization. Like this is actual data. This is where we're seeing change happen. This is where we're seeing power at the other end. In other words, how are we driving business outcomes? I think that's like a huge, that's huge. And I think that translates, I used it from a broad term of engagement and experience. 
you asked about change management, but I think those things go hand in hand. Um, and I think you can look at that from change. So for example, now, a lot of the changes that we go on that happen in our organization, we're asking ourselves, where does that connect to the business outcome? How do we measure that from an employee perspective? And then how do we use that data to inform the types of either initiatives that we're doing, or maybe it's actually just feedback that the leaders have that they can then control locally to say, here's how I can better support how my team is going through this change. So long way to get there, just basically say data and the technology and the tools around that have been tremendously become easier uh, for the everyday person. And so the more that we can tap into that, I think the better. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great point. And I'd read a report recently about just some employee feedback. And unfortunately, the, the report itself was basing the uh, statistics or had collected the statistics based on exit interviews. And it, so it just triggered in my mind, like, okay, of course, this is good that these organizations were collecting this data on the way out, but the real opportunity is to collect that data when they're still there, right? Definitely. And, and to, to really understand that employee experience, a term you, you've used a lot on this conversation today, and to really make sure that we understand their state and how we can be serving them better. And, um, it, you know, obviously the, the better time to do that. I know I'm not the first person to have this idea. I know a lot of large, you know, sophisticated organizations are, are capturing this data today, but it really stuck out with me in this report because uh, it was too late to affect change for those men and women that had already decided to leave. And, and this was all tied to the great resignation that we've been, you know, talking a lot yep. about. And so I think the, the opportunity to cut off the the outflow of people is to really be asking those questions long in advance of, of them trying to separate. For sure. Uh, I love sports analogies. Um, and so like the way I think about it is, you know, when you want to be wearing your watch and knowing your splits along the run versus you get to the end and like, here's the way you ran the whole race. And like, what are yeah. you going to do about it at that point? Yeah. Um, besides just be like, either I did really good or next time I'll do better. Right. If you have the splits yeah. along the way, you can be informed and adjust to, you know, to what you're doing. And I think, it's, it's absolutely the same when we think about yeah. our, our, the way that we work and how we engage every day. Yeah. So I, I always um, feel like I need to throw out the disclaimer that I'm not trying to turn the conversation to being negative, but I, I am curious if you can share a time when maybe some changes were implemented for you know, a change management initiative or overall organizational effectiveness initiative that maybe didn't go as planned. And uh, I'm not asking to just poke holes through it, but rather to just learn in the spirit of learning if, if maybe there were some learning things that came away from maybe when something didn't go quite the way you expected. Yeah. I like this question because I think we all have those experiences and it has always created a platform for me for storytelling, right? When we talk about like, what's even the, why do we even care about change? Like what, what goes well or, or what doesn't go well? Um, I think when you ask that, the biggest thing that came to my mind was um, probably a, a set, or I would say initiative, but a set of initiatives where basically the operating model of the organization uh, was, was changing. So a lot a lot happening across the organization. So when I say op model, I'm talking about, right, how are we structured? Um, how do key processes across the organization get done? And we tackled it from the perspective of well, if we fold everything into a nice initiative and we have teams behind each initiative and we have sponsors and we have an ecosystem in which everybody's reporting regularly on progress, like the change will go well, right? And I think in some ways there was success, but to your, to your, uh, your question of, of what didn't go well, I think where we, where we struggled was number one, just in the idea that we could set out to do a ton of change all at once even right the idea of well if we're organized nicely that will actually compartmentalize it and that will work well well if you think about it from the end of the employee probably all of that's either hitting at the same time or close to and so the capacity for change on the on the one end is difficult right so the person actually has to yeah. change the other also is the amount of tension that you can give something right if you're talking about major transformation you're talking about how do we roll model those behaviors how do we get consistent about actually ensuring that we've done the change? How do we tweak and evolve routines that have existed for us always? And all of that requires attention. And if we're doing a bunch at once, we're, we can probably only do a couple changes 
at a time. And so that's that's where the fail the, the fail came in, which was we had a number of initiatives that just didn't get as much success as I think folks were hoping for. Um, and really where it came down to, if you think about how work gets done, the things that really, really mattered or were most on the on the, the burning platform, those were the things that got attention and worked. The things that like a nice to have or that sounds great, but we could do it later. That's the stuff that got pushed out or didn't work very well. Um, and so I think the learning that I had there is is kind of what, what I'm sharing. You know, let's let's go back to what are we trying to accomplish? What are the, the things that we can pay attention to? Back to Kurt's point, right? How are the things that we the things that we can um, bite off and do successfully? Yeah. And then let's let's go from there because it's better to do a couple things right over time than to try to do everything and have fail a failure because also people know that right they've experienced the fail and so then you start diluting trust you start diluting where people want to be engaged nobody wants to sign up for something that doesn't get attention support or is going to be right. successful so I right. think that that was a big one. Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned Kurt again, because as you were describing yeah, yeah, that, see, we're, we're definitely giving him a shout out today. It, it occurred to me that uh, there's probably like a minimum viable change argument too, right? What is what is the uh, an appropriate amount of change for the men and women to absorb at any given time? And, and let's possibly, um, you know, try to give them bite-sized chunks rather than really try to, um, you know, absorb too much at one time. Yep. And um, I, I know that's a lot easier said than done. It sounds like the organization you were describing at the time was going through a lot of transformation. And so I understand that if we were to bite too many small things off at one time, it would never get done. So I, I know it's not a perfect science, Definitely. Um, but uh, I, I do appreciate what you said about, you know, perhaps maybe biting off too much at one time. And, and there's a, an opportunity to shorten that up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, I think right. Business will be evolving and there's always going to be a lot going on. I think that's just like how work is today. Um, but the question is, how do we be intentional about it? And sometimes it's yeah. just being eyes wide open. Like this might get 50% adoption. Are we okay with that? And sometimes right. the answer is yes, but let's, let's be real. And I think, I think that's important. I think a lot of times, um, I know you didn't ask me this, but in the spirit of like why change sometimes fail, I think it's not setting up that environment where people feel safe to bring those types of concerns to the table, right? You get maybe a project team who has a leader that's like, let's just get it done. And no one wants to come and say like, I don't think we're going to totally get there. Right. Um, and so I think if you can flip that and just be eyes wide open, that, that's okay too. I agree with you completely. And I do think you're right. I think a lot of times deadlines and the assertiveness of a team that's trying to implement something can uh, miss some of the cues and maybe haven't created uh, that safe space that you described earlier in the conversation to get that feedback. And, and I've, I've said this a bunch of times on the show, like if, if you're not going to have good adoption of, of the change, whatever it is, I, you know, I tend to focus a lot on the, the uh, digital adoption because that's the business that we're in where we spend a lot of time on during our day job. Um, but whatever that change is, if you're not going to get the engagement that you're looking for, then just cramming it down everybody's throat is going to ultimately fail. Yes. So it's better to take one step back so that you can then reset, perhaps better communicate, get everybody back on board and, and deliver this change to uh, the, those affected at a pace that they can absorb. Definitely. I think the, and the, another view in there could be, if you know you're not going to get adoption what does the new success look like mm -hmm. um so maybe instead of the whole organization you start with a function if you can't do that because sometimes there's changes that you can't control let's call yeah. it like a regulation change uh you're sure. running up on name name the thing right right name it sure. um but i think i think you can also bite off like well this is phase one this is step one so uh, back to that race analogy um if someone gets you know if you've got an injury before the race just be like, yeah, I still want to run it. I'm not going to hit that time, but I can still finish. Right. That's okay. But if no one knows that you had an injury and they're yelling from the sideline, <laughs> Mr. Split, yeah. you're just, now you're just more and more pain. And I think we, we want to take the pain out of the system. Yeah. So speaking of pain, <clears throat> excuse me, do you, do you think that any of these change management initiatives internally uh, bleed out and have an impact on the customer experience? For sure. Um, I, it's so funny. I, back, I love this question because 
I answer this in two ways. I think there is, I have experiences I can name, which I won't, like a bunch of right, companies that you like experience change, something rolls out or you're in a right. store and you're like, why did this change? It's like, what's happening? And you ask the employee and they're like, I don't know either. Right. So that's like, right. that's one example. But I think really practically speaking, I'll just expand on that. Um, you know, think about, say something changes on the website, right? I'm going to buy something on the website. I'm going to learn something on the website, book something on the website. Well, if there's a change that's implemented there and it's not working so well for the end user, right? The in, that comes back, the way that comes back internally is through name a channel, right? I'm going to call customer service. I'm going to go on Instagram. Uh, I'm going to talk to my friends. Name, you know, there's a lot of ways that that comes back, but I think what's important about that is then we want to equip people to support the customer in that case of change. Right. So it's arming the employee with like, here is what the change was externally. Here's some things that might come back. Here's how you support them in that um, transition. And by the way, let's also hear that feedback. Right. If we think about it as a product, it's out in the world. We're getting so, you know, feedback back internally. Let's let's leverage that to then change things, because if we're getting enough feedback that it's not working, we have something to learn from that. So yeah. ultimately, the answer to your question is for sure, I think. I think um, you know you're talking about potential re reputation impact. You're talking about uh, frontline workers who have to deal with the questions. Uh, like let's for all those folks out there. Uh, like I'll put myself in that bucket. I have like loyalty programs with a number of things. The first change that's going to impact me is a loyalty uh, game, right? It's anything in loyalty, and I'm going to be emotional impact and have some opinions about that. And so if I'm going to call someone up, I'm probably going to have emotion that impacts the, the employee who's servicing them. So giving a few examples, but definitely, I think uh, external is as important as internal because they all go hand in hand. Yeah. And, and the reality is you can't focus just on customer experience and you can't focus just on employee experience. I, I guess the right answer is that you have to find balance so that there's some equilibrium there and that we're, we're paying attention to, to both sides of that equation so that both our employees who are serving the customers and the customers who are receiving that service uh, can be as on the same page as possible throughout all the transformations of the business. Definitely. Um, and I'll speak you know, more specifically to that, like currently in my role in hospitality, we firmly believe in that. I mean, we go as far as to say, um, right, our employees, the experience that our employees have is what's going to drive the interaction that we have with, with guests or customers. Um, and so to your point there, they can be interchangeable, but our belief is if we start with the employee, everything will, will also you know, feed out to the customer. And that's yeah. inclusive of if a change doesn't go well back on the customer, they at least have a place that they can call or reach out to, to know that they can work with somebody who cares. Yeah. That's actually a great segue. So we're, we're actually already coming up to, to the end of our time here. But, but talking about the employee and their experience and how that affects customer experience, we started the conversation talking about a lot of the change that's been absorbed by the men and women on the front lines. What do you think is the future of being a frontline worker, either in your industry specifically right now or just frontline workers in general? How do you think that the pandemic has affected what the future will look like for those men and women on the front lines? Yeah, here, I'll share with what I hope. Um, what I hope is that uh, the flexibility um, and life balance and uh, conversation on well-being all flows into those roles as well. Um, I think a lot of times, at least what I've seen in the research, seems to be sitting more at the the corporate level, right? Like who's coming? Who's coming back to the office? That's a good question. But I, but the people that are driving the business are the day-to-day, -day, the, 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 the folks who are interacting with customers, the, pers the, the people that are in the distribution houses, sending the product out the door, uh, the people on the phone working with their students, like all of that. Uh, I, I hope that we, we flip the conversation and it comes back to that. So um, that's what I hope. And I think that's both personally, right? Uh, thinking about getting to work, my work shifts to also things that we can control internally. Like if there's a change in process or in a change that they actually need to implement in their jobs, that we do that more intentionally and that we support them better. So those are, those are my hopes. I, I think that's a really great point. And 
anybody who's listened to any of the other episodes that I've hosted, um, you know, I've kind of been on a rant about this because I think a lot of the changes that we've all talked about and they get a lot of coverage in the media about work from home and work from, you know, hybrid work policies and all these kind of things. I mean, it, it affects the men and women that, you know, we used to work in an office and now we get to work at our kitchen table in our sweatpants. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of the workforce has not had that luxury. So there are some roles that are starting to make that transition. Um, I just switched wireless carriers and had to make a couple of calls into to the new carrier. And um, every single person that I talked to in their contact center was working from their home. Cool. And that's something that, you know, two years ago was, was not the case. And that particular company happens to be pretty um, ahead of things. They were ahead of that transition even before the pandemic, but the, the pandemic definitely accelerated their move to work from home. So that's a role that's actually probably pretty well suited, you know, contact center spending most of their day or all of their workday on the phone. Uh, that's a great role to do from their kitchen table, right? You don't need a lot of infrastructure at home to be able to do that job. Um, but, you know, if your primary job is doing deliveries or, or working in a hotel, it's going to be hard to do that, you know, from, from your, uh, you know, from your living room. So I, I do agree with you though. I think we need to make sure that we're taking into their personal needs into this and, and hopefully um, we're all being awoken to, to the needs for uh, better working conditions across the board. And I hope some of that can trickle, uh, you know, over to those folks as well. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, Carly, um, as always seems to be the case, this conversation, uh, it, it needs to come to an end. We have to wrap up this podcast, but I've really enjoyed the conversation. It always does seem to go so fast. So thank you so much for carving out the time. It's really been getting uh, great to get to know you and in, in our, our preparation for today and, and through today's call. So um, look forward to staying in touch with you. Um, yep. Before we wrap up, I want to remind you and let other folks that are listening know that um, you will now be invited to come participate in the Frontline Innovators Council, which is a private group that we have on LinkedIn. Uh, the fee for entry is participation in today's podcast, which you've now uh, passed. So you'll get an invite on LinkedIn today to come and join us in that group. We've got uh, approaching 40 members in that group right now. And the goal for that is to keep the, this discussion going. So instead of it just being one-on-one -on -one, to open that conversation up to the entire community of, of frontline innovators and uh, keep that dialogue going. So we'll send that invitation over to you today and look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, I'm excited. And thanks for having me. Really, uh, it's always enlightening. I love the questions and really, really appreciate the time. Excellent. Well, thanks again for being a part of it. And uh, for the folks in the audience, um, we're going to wrap it up there. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. I know we tell you this every time, but five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. Don't forget it has a Y in it, S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And we're always looking for other guests on the show. So if you or somebody else that's in your network is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story or make an introduction. And we'd love to get them on the next episode. Carly, thanks again for your time today. 